Stats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. A lot of breaking news going on. Let's go to our first guest, uh, Gordon G. Chang. When it comes to policy, especially what's going on in China, no one knows more about what's going on overseas than Gordon Chang. Gordon G. Chang, your Twitter, you you posted something, you know, China's ready to go to war. War with whom? Taiwan? Us? What is going on? Yeah, that's a great question, Lydia. And the answer is all of the above. Last month, when China was flat on its back with COVID-19, there was a large Chinese incursion into India's Arunachal Pradesh. There was stepped-up pressure on Japan in the East China Sea around the Senkakus. They went after the Philippines and the South China Sea. Of course, Taiwan with the big Christmas Day air incursion, and also the United States of America. A Chinese Navy fighter came within 10 feet or 20 feet, depending on who you talk to, of an unarmed U.S. Air Force reconnaissance plane in international airspace in the South China Sea. China, as it weakens internally, is becoming so much more dangerous externally. Gordon, this is Pete King, but if they've taken out all these countries, don't they risk the, uh, uh, or take the risk of being overwhelmed? I mean, just, you know, attacking Taiwan could be enough of a risk, but if they're also skirmishing with India, Japan, and also, you know, we assume the United States will get involved to some extent, I think uh, uh, hopefully more than less. But uh, again, is China playing games or are they serious? What do you think? I think that they're serious because Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, needs a foreign enemy. And, you know, you're absolutely right when you say, well, how could they take on everybody? But Xi Jinping's hero is Mao Zedong, the first leader of the People's Republic. And Mao took on all on all on at the same time. And that really means that China is extremely dangerous because they're not thinking like us. I think they're not thinking rationally, but obviously they see things a lot differently than we Americans do. Because even if they got engaged in a war just with Taiwan, that could be difficult enough for them. They probably ultimately would win it, but that's... That's tough going across it, those Isn't waters. there a lesson to learn from what's happening with Russia and and the Ukraine? Things don't always yeah. work out right. the so way I mean, you think yeah. they do, the way you want them to. Yeah, well, you know, it would never be just China versus Taiwan, because in order to invade Taiwan successfully, they've got to have a big blockade. Mm -hmm. That blockade to be successful has to include sovereign Japanese territory, specifically the island of Yonagumi, which is actually south of Taipei. We have a mutual defense treaty with Japan. Australia probably would get involved. North Korea would probably attack South Korea as a diversion. And that means we would have conflicts at both ends of the Eurasian landmass. And that starts to look like global war. Gordon Chang, is the reason kind of this um, tension is escalating with China is because they see that President Biden isn't a strong leader, similar to what happened with Ukraine, as uh, Tony Carbonetti mentioned, our disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, so they feel emboldened. What could President Biden do to stop this from happening in the first place? Well, I think that, and you're absolutely right in the premise of your question. It started with the catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan. Putin thought he could then go after Ukraine. Xi Jinping is looking at this. And what Biden can do is actually say to the Chinese in public, we will defend Taiwan. We will def offer a mutual defense. Every time he does, someone apologizes, right? Right. Well, that's happened four times. Right. Biden has said to the press, I will defend Taiwan. And then someone apologizes for it. They And they walk it back. So that's not good. But if Biden were to say that publicly and people didn't walk it back, then I think China would think twice. But until he says that, we don't have deterrence. And when deterrence doesn't exist, really bad things happen. Gordon, 
It's Richard Weinberg. Let me ask you this. If the United States doesn't take a leadership role in this potential conflict, what is Japan and South Korea and Taiwan itself going to do about it? Well, I think Japan will be drawn in regardless of what we do, um, which means that we get drawn in. And that's how these big conflicts start, um, you know, and it could very well be, you know, that China doesn't wake up one morning and says, we're invading Taiwan. You know, you could, there could be one of these dangerous intercepts that I talked about of a U.S. plane or an Australian plane, and that spirals downward into conflict across the region. So, it could start by accident. And a number of wars have started that way, including World War One. This could be one of those times where the region just collapses because there's no deterrence right now. And the Chinese, with so many problems internally, feel that they have no choice but to start a war someplace. Well, he, he, uh, Ping needs a reason to get his people uh, uh, unified. unified, yeah. Absolutely, John. You you put your finger on it. This is this is what Xi Jinping is doing. I think that as China gets weaker internally, um, he believes and he needs a foreign enemy to unify the Chinese people because Xi Jinping can see right now that he's losing control over the Communist Party, and at the same time, the Communist Party is losing control over China, and that really means we're at a point where anything can happen because Xi Jinping has a very different view of the world than we do. Going back to Congressman King. Uh, point. Switching gears, uh, Gordon Chang, the FAA, there was a ground stoppage. I mean, flights all over the country. They're saying the White House says there's no evidence of a cyber attack at this point. Pete Buttigieg also saying that he doesn't believe anything nefarious, but they're going to investigate the root cause of this. What are you hearing? Because this sure looks like a cyber attack. And Tony Carbonetti, this isn't the first time, right? No, last week, there was something in Florida, very similar. There were flights that were grounded and not, no landing for several hours, and they were blaming it on an FAA snafu. So it was similar yeah. to today, but very sm- uh, but much smaller. This is just a wide a test, scale. A test run? Yeah. Last week, a test run? What, what are you hearing, Gordon Chang? Well, you know, I, I don't know anything more than, than what has been said, but the point is the FAA does have an antiquated uh, computer system. We know that. And, and, you know, some person today joked on Twitter that uh, for the, before the Chinese could hack the FAA, they'd have to fix their system, the FAA system. <laughs> and, 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 you know, there's a certain amount of truth to that. But the point is that this shows how easy it would be for China or Russia or Iran to take down our commercial airliners by hacking into the system. Because let's say that they sent false information. You know, who knows what could happen then? We're so vulnerable. It's crazy. Absolutely. And, and we know about these vulnerabilities because we know the Chinese hacked, for instance, the Office of Personnel Management of the federal government. They hacked our defense contractors over the F-35 plans. They've done this and they've done that. And we still don't fix our system. So this really is on us. Congressman King. I was going to say, you know, the one encouraging thing that I got uh, when I was in Congress, I never fully understood any of this, but that whatever they could do to us, we could do worse to them. And I'm hoping we still have that sort of... Uh, Repeated, do we have the will to respond? Oh, that's a different story. I don't know. But, but uh, don't we learn anything? Wasn't this Die Hard 2 where they took over <laughs> the airport in D.C.? Come on. We got to learn from uh, Bruce Willis should have taught us something. There's a lot that we could learn from Bruce Willis and not just <laughs> Die Hard 2. But, you know, the point is that, you know, the United States has vulnerable systems. And, yes, we could take down China, but we don't do it. We don't even really mess with them like they've been messing with us in our systems. 
And so really what we need to do is establish some sort of deterrence. And we can do that, for instance. We don't have to cyber attack them to do that. We could just say, look, you know, you're not selling to us this month or something like that. Um, and the Chinese would get the message and they'd cut it out. But we have to impose costs greater than the benefits they get. And they're cyber attacking. You know, they're cyber attacking our um, intellectual property. They take somewhere like $500 billion a year of our stuff. So it's got to be a big cost that we put on China. And maybe then they'll stop this. Well, thank you so much, Gordon G. Chang. That's how you can get all the latest updates on Twitter. Gordon G. Chang. Thank you so much, sir. Oh, well, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Biden aides, according to NBC News sources, find more classified documents. And we're not talking about the ones they found yesterday. This is an an additional set of documents on the line with us right now is the president of Judicial Watch, Tom Fitton. Tell us, what are you Hearing about this, I mean, uh, this is this is crazy. Talk about hypocrisy at at the highest level. Crazy, absurd, you name it. Uh, they found new classified records. They're not telling us where they were, which I think is interesting. I guess they don't want the FBI to raid the location. <laughs> you really you think know, they would hide, raid Biden? Please. You know, um, you know, back several years ago, we had sued because the archives weren't taking control of records that Trump, uh, excuse me, Bill Clinton had. He had audio tapes that an author had taken of him calling a foreign leader and talking to members of Congress. And we're like, well, isn't this a presidential record? And, you know, the court told us, go jump in a lake. You can't get this. Archives told us, no, he he you got to give him, you know, the ability to, to decide what's personal or presidential. So when all this stuff with Trump emerged, we're like, what is going on here? This is an exact 180 degree turn from the prior Justice Department and uh, National Archives position. But new rules for Trump. So sure enough, the rules they're applying to Trump, oh, surprisingly, are not applying as aggressively to Joe Biden and, frankly, to every other former president and vice president who must be sweating bullets wondering what the heck they might have that they thought they were able to take. Uh, What an absurdity. And if Biden had any gumption, he'd come in and shut it down. We made a mistake. Clearly, the presidents have prerogatives. Vice presidents have prerogatives and what documents they can take. You know, if there's anything they think is inappropriate, we'll take them. No harm, no foul. Let's let's just move on from this and stop abusing Trump while making a mockery of the law by so brazenly protecting Biden. Tom, it's Richard Weinberg. What I'm concerned about is the substance contained in these documents. What will it tell us about the relationships between the Biden family enterprise and these foreign governments? And that's what I think the American people have a right to know. If there's nothing there, we should know that. If there's something there, we should certainly know it, given the policy decisions of this administration. What say you? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of questions because we're just presuming, well, these were his White House documents. Well, were they? Or maybe they were Hunter's documents that he got from his father. I don't know. And you know if- then we find, you know, we found out yesterday or the other day, so 10 documents. And then Biden yesterday is talking about boxes he turned over. What's going on here? So what is Judicial Watch going to do about this? For similar conduct, they raided the former president's home. And, and, and by the way... 
we now learn the FBI didn't want to didn't want to do that, and they were overruled by po- Biden political appointees in the Justice Department. So, in what this situation, uh, Tom, what is what is Judicial Watch's role going to be, if any? Well, we've litigated, and we're already in court trying to figure out uh, what they've been doing with respect to Trump, how they've been handling these records, and uh, suing in court to uh, uh, expose the Justice Department and National Archives machinations against uh, Trump world. Uh, obviously, we're going to have to file some lawsuits to find out how they protect how they've been protecting Biden, and uh, and since, by the way, November second of last year. Tom, they knew about it, and they've been hiding it until this week. Tom, it's Tony Carbonetti. Did you just say that the decision to raid Mar-a-Lago was made by a political appointee, not by the rank and file that that do this as a matter of course? That they were overruled. Yeah, if I was, if I'm reading the Washington Post correctly, uh, it was a week or so ago. They reported that the FBI had objections a to the initial investigation, and were very hesitant about doing the raid. And the raid was pushed, and the, and it was pushed by a political appointee in the Justice Department. Those are the things that so need to be not, investigated. This was not career civil servants making right. the decision. This was someone who was appointed by the president. And the fact that they used a team from Washington to go down to Mar-a-Lago, that's not normal protocol, right, Tom Fitton? Again, we're talking to Tom Fitton. He, he is the president of Judicial Watch, and we're talking about the, another batch of classified documents that Biden apparently had in his possession. Never in American history has there been a raid on the home of a former president, and certainly nothing for – and you know, certainly there was no justification here, especially for a facility protected by the Secret Service. And what's going to be interesting, I think, Tom, is this new subcommittee that's just been appointed by the leadership of the House, a so-called church committee, to investigate the weaponization of governmental agencies against political opponents. What do you say about that? Well, I think they need to uh, make sure their jurisdiction is expansive, and I think it is. And they specifically have the ability, uh, by direction of the full House, to investigate the Justice Department's handling of this Trump records issue. So the idea that there's a criminal investigation and no one on earth, no one on earth can question them. Uh, that's not going to wash with this house, at least um, as, as the committee is currently constituted. I'm sure Congressman King would have loved powers like that when he was on committees. I'd say that would have been great when I was chairman of the Homeland. That'd be terrific. But uh, how can yeah. I tell you? No, listen, I, I think this really has to be examined inside out, upside down, every which way. I what? don't remember if you were on Whitewater or not, but uh, I was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, can you imagine having the powers the last Congress exercised in terms of going after third parties, taking phone records, leaking them of not government officials, but just regular citizens like they did? I remember uh, just asking uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, chief assistant in the White House. I forget her name now. Uh, Maggie, Maggie, Maggie Williams. Yeah. Maggie, and, uh, Maggie Williams, yeah. yeah. And uh, Henry Gonzalez went nuts. Uh, Maxine Waters went nuts. And the, almost the whole committee came Wasn't to a halt. Wasn't she always nuts, Maxine Waters? Well, if she, went, if she went out of her way, that's why the fact that I remember it was even more nuts than usual. It was... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we, uh, again, it's a totally different world today, and listen, I think uh, you know, we're going to get the job done. Tom, well, they, they've got the political support. I think they should operate as if they have a 90-seat majority when absolutely. investigations. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Tom Fitton. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. 
Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show, where we don't believe in formers. In our hearts, Lee Zeldin will always be our congressman, will always be the guy that almost... uh, Became became, governor. It should be governor. It should have been governor mm, by just five points. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Lee Zeldin. We wanted to get started first off on Governor Hochul's State of the State address. What were your main takeaways? Well, you know, I thought that the shout out of Governor David Patterson was the best part of it. <laughs> so Governor Patterson should, should enjoy that part. It was good that he was there. Um, I would say as far as the rest of the uh, the speech, uh, no, it was, it was terrible. I mean, it was, <laughs> I, I call it a, you know, a small swing and a big miss. The, mm. uh, the courage that people are looking for and their desire to save the state and turn things around, the policies needed to be able to secure our streets, to improve the quality of education in our schools, to reverse the out-migration, it, it requires someone to stand up there and, and be bold. If you want to talk about tackling crime, Talk about how we need to declare a crime emergency and suspend cashless bail and give judges discretion away dangerousness and remove rogue DAs who refuse to enforce the law. We got none of it. But our expectations for Hochul is so much less than what we actually need to save the state that she doesn't she's able to get away with doing far less. Uh, She picks a few topics to highlight. She talks housing, which is basically declaring war on the suburbs. She talks mental health and the solution is just to throw more money at the problem. She talks crime but doesn't offer up what needs to get done to actually secure the streets and subways. This isn't the bold leadership that New Yorkers demand. This is weakness on display and and quite frankly it's you know it's sad as somebody who absolutely loves the state to see the directions heading under Hochul. Congressman uh, Judge Richard Weinberg you uh, just alluded to the housing issue. Could you uh, give more detail? I'm concerned that what it looks like it's an attack on local zoning, which will really destroy the suburbs, which is another reason, as Michael Goodwin would say from the New York Post, to escape from New York. What's she say promised you? another, what, 800,000 affordable housing yeah. units downstate? And That's she's ridiculous. Gonna have, and she's going to have goals for the different neighborhoods. She's going to destroy local zoning. What do you say, Congressman? you got to put the migrants someplace. <laughs> this is a proposal right. to replace local control with local control. She is not a town supervisor. She's not a county executive. She's not a monarch. But she's acting as if she has all those other titles and responsibilities and powers as well. She doesn't. And there are people who like the communities that they live in. This seems punitive. You look at Suffolk and Nassau County. Hochul got crushed in the November 2022 election. But that doesn't mean that she, in her first state of the state right afterwards, Uh, needs to start declaring war, and she doesn't need to step all over that level of local control that's needed. Why are so many people leaving the state? Why does New York lead the entire country in out-migration? You want to build 800,000 more units? Well, why is it that the need isn't going to be there for 800,000 more units? Uh, And I think she should talk more about the available units that exist now and what changes need to get made uh, in order to make those uh, more, more available. And if you know, if if somebody who loves 
people who love their local community. Brookhaven Town, for example, that's the town that I live in in Suffolk, has 500,000 people. And if people don't like what their town is becoming, they don't just stay there and bear it. If they don't like the town that they live in because of Hochul implementing her vision for Brookhaven Town, then people just leave. And lastly, I would say and remind everyone, this is coming from a person Hochul, who in August was giving a speech saying that I should just leave the state, get on a bus and move to Florida because I disagree with uh, her her vision, her policies for New York. Uh, so I'm concerned that like, by ignoring that voice at the local level and saying that it's her way or the highway, that you're going to have a lot of New Yorkers who are going to choose the highway and it's going to be in a U-Haul. Hey, Lee, this is Pete King. I don't know how she gets away also just making the barest reference to bail reform, saying basically it's not ideal. She should have given at least some specifics on that because that is really destroying the state. And it's not a mystery as to what she should say. Judges should have discretion to weigh dangerousness, period. Now, you could even say, well, more crime should be bail eligible. But you still have it in the, in the law right now right. that the judge needs to use the least restrictive standard. <clears throat> The judge needs to have the ability when someone's in front of them who they know is a danger to society, that judge should have the ability to weigh that dangerousness in deciding whether or not to release that person. Otherwise, why is a judge there? I mean, we need discovery reform. We need bail reform. How they don't tackle crime is beyond me. Um, I I don't understand. It's a passing reference to them, and it's, it's the major issue here in New York City. Lee Zeldin, if you were elected governor, would you have at least used your leverage regarding the pay raises to get something, at least get the judge you wanted confirmed or get some the tweaks to the bail reform that's so desperately needed? I just can't seem to understand her her moves. Her Why would she do that? Just give them thir- an extra $30,000. And for what? For doing a horrible job running the state into the ground? Absolutely. And use the power of your soapbox. If they're saying, well, we have a super majority, so if you veto it, we're going to overturn the veto. Yeah, good luck bringing that to the people of New York, that you're overriding the governor's veto to give yourself more money. I am going to be out traveling the state with the people behind me. Now, if you're going to, if you're going to talk timing in a strategy, why would you give away that leverage just before the session starts? There's a budget due April 1st, the end of session at the beginning of June. What you should be saying is that this is an item that we could talk about as part of the state budget. If, if it doesn't get in the state budget, it could be an item we're talking about for the end of session. But we're not going to just do this out of the gate as a special session in December. And you could say, how how can we, with a straight face, have a special session and not deal with bail reform and making our streets safer? So uh, she completely misplayed it. She gets no credit for anything about how she handled it. And if I was in her position and if I had decided that this is something that maybe I would go along with, Punt the timing of it, use the leverage, and be able to get more of your agenda passed. And, uh, Congressman, what I'm very concerned about as a retired judge is the fact that they're trying to pack the court with left-wing progressives and stop a very capable, honorable justice from becoming the uh, chief judge of the state and only to rubber stamp whatever the left-wing legislature wants to pass. What do you say? Yeah, they, they like, as if they don't have enough power. The legislative branch and the executive branch is one party Democrat rule with super majorities in the Assembly and Senate. They don't want any check on their power. 
Unbelievable. Well, thank you so much, Congressman Lee Zeldin, and we look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you, Lee Zeldin. Take care. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. On the line with us, we have Senator Alphonse D'Amato, who needs no introduction, the greatest senator that ever lived. And Tony Carbonetti, you heard a rumor, right? That the senator was going to run for the congressional seat, that Santos is going to be vacated by Santos. <laughs> we, we, senator, we've organized John's the already here. setting up the super so, Judge Weinberg is your general counsel. <laughs> Tony Carbonetti is your operations person. And I want to handle the deal with Netflix so we can make a lot of money seeing you go to Washington and call people a-holes. Uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Yeah. Senator Monica goes back to Washington. You're an a-hole. Hey, hey, hey this is Pete and, King. And and I, I don't think as bad as Washington is, they don't deserve having you go down there. I can, I can just imagine what you would do if you were on the House floor last week. They'd be like, when bring those, us back the sociopath. You know, those morons you know, were carrying on the part, way they were. The best part. Is John Casamitidis <laughs> is going to come down there with me, and he's going to run the Washington office. <laughs> it's getting good now. And by the way, he's setting up the campaign fund. I have nothing to do with it. He's going to raise the money. Uh, I'm borrowing the money it. from Santos. <laughs> That's the best. This guy is a disgrace. He is an He's just incredible. I cannot believe it. And I have to tell you that the sooner he's going to be indicted and he's going to be convicted on on the financial fraud. Anybody who would lie like he is about his high school, about his college, about his jobs, etc. You don't think he lied about the campaign finances and all of a sudden they find $750,000 and all of a sudden he goes from poverty to having money. Believe me, he's going to prison. And what he should do is cut a deal now and save some time and let, and they'll let him plead down to something. But that's why he won't resign. My mind. Senator, that's why he won't resign. I need something to trade. Well, that that's what he should start doing. Uh, because he will be convicted of financial crimes. And and there's just no doubt. If you lie about everything, including your heritage and your mother and father's heritage and your schooling and your jobs, you, you, you know he lied on the campaign finance uh, thing. Mm-hmm. That that's, that's without a doubt. He's a disgrace. He should resign immediately. What he really should do is have his lawyers reach out to the Justice Department, cut a deal, plead guilty. You know, maybe they give him a a year for his financial crimes uh, or less. But that's what he better do. If he tries to stick it out and fight, he's going to wind up in prison for a long time. And he deserves it. Hey, our friend. uh... Arrogant son of a bitch. Yeah, I think Joe. Say that. You can say that. You just did. You just did. I was going to say, I think Joe Cairo did the right thing today because I my my concern is that Republicans in Washington somehow want to keep Santos there for a while. That first of all, it's morally wrong, but also politically, it's going to kill us on Long Island. That is a big question. What are you guys going to do about Santos? And to me, if you're uh, Anthony Diaz-Bizzito, you're Nicola Loda, you're Anthony Gar- uh, uh, Andrew Garbarino, and you have this yeah. this maniac there and doing nothing about it, it's going to kill the Republican Party downstate. And it was New York State Republicans that gave 
Washington Republicans the majority. Without us, they wouldn't have a majority. And how do you launch an investigation into President Biden, Hunter Biden, when you've got somebody who's who's like a known liar? Well, uh, let me tell you, that, that's a very good point uh, that you uh, bring up. You know, there's an old saying, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? So you could say, well, you know, they went after Trump. Now they should go after Biden. I think this business about secret documents is a lot of nonsense now. They may have technically both of them broken the law. Forget it. Mr. Attorney General, do your job. Close both the Biden and Trust document cases. And, and you'll be doing America a great favor. We don't need this. We don't not need to be going after a former president, the present president, with respect to these documents. And so uh, that would be my suggestion. And maybe we could begin to concentrate on some of the real problems that this nation has. And, and let me tell you, if the Republicans hold up, all right, the next funding a bill that Congress has to pass to keep us going, we're going to be destroyed politically. This country is going to suffer egregiously. And I'm not worried about whether they're Republicans, whether they're Democrats. I'm worried about this country. Al, you that know, sounds you, like a great speech for the floor. Al, Al, you know, you and I were down there when Newt Gingrich shut down the government. That was going to be the big winning issue for us, and it killed us. Absolutely. Yep. People people have it, no tolerance for that at all, shutting down the government. It yeah. will, And it will take place again, Pete. You're absolutely right. And it will be a disaster for this nation. We don't need that. Sometimes these jackasses have got to put this petty partisan politics aside and do the right thing for the people. And that's what we have to begin to work on. Senator, so, uh, Senator, yeah. what did you what did you think about uh, the Biden performance so-called at the border just now? Well, let me tell you. Uh, he got away with with murder because um, it it was the best he could do, but the nerve of not even seeing any of what's going on as it relates to the immigrants and where they're camped out and how they swept the whole place clean. So he came to an area that certainly didn't look like it was the border, that does not represent what's going on, so they showed him nothing. And, and he babbled his way. And I got to tell you, he got away with it with respect to meeting with Mexico and Canada. We're worried about North America and we're going to do. And, and people are so sick and tired of hearing the same thing. Um, he took what could have been a disaster and, and, he, and he got away with it. He really did. So that, that's my, my thought with respect to this. Um, no, nothing good came of it. And, and 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 we just can't keep yelling and screaming about the border is open. The border is open. We got to talk about the drugs that come in. We got we got to talk about who's paying now for these people being settled. New York City is going to be hit for over a billion dollars. All these other places are going to be hit for these poor people who have to have a place to eat, to sleep, et cetera, and who's paying for it? The taxpayers. Let's start talking about the practicality, not that they just they're come over. you got to tell them how they're overwhelming our taxpayers here. Make it so something that people understand. So you're going to pay higher taxes in your cities, in your counties, in the towns and villages that you live in. And your schools will be overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Who's going to? 
who's going to educate these school uh, uh, kids? You know, 70% of the property taxes that we pay in Long Island go for school districts. So every kid costs you 20 plus thousand dollars. Uh, we saw that burden in Suffolk County back, uh, I guess, 10 years ago when the uh, unaccompanied minors came from Central America. They were dropped in places like uh, Brentwood and Central Islip. Put in these schools, you had 14-year-old kids with like a, a sixth-grade education. I mean, your six-year-old ed- education. Yeah. Uh, there were sick yeah. kids. It was terrible. The burden that that put on the schools was incredible. And they were the districts least capable of affording it. And then even how does a teacher catch up the whole class? These kids right. can't speak English. Like you said, it's just such a it's a you disaster. Go from 25 kids in a class to 40 kids in a class. It's a big difference. And then those kids, even if they didn't come here intent on joining a gang, they end up in a gang. And that's how wow. MS-13 was born. MS-13 came about as a result of that kind of undisciplined right. uh, uh, entry that took place. And you got to give Trump credit. He did close down the border as best you could possibly do. He did a great job there, never took credit, and, and ran a stupid campaign and should stop it. And his, his January 6th thing has finished him. And, and he should be big enough to learn enough is enough. You're damaged. Don't come back. You know what keeps Biden in this race? Trump. He figures he's going to run against Trump and he'll beat him again. And if that takes place, Trump and Biden, guess who wins? Biden. We don't need it. Not us. You ought to, we don't. The American to, people don't the win. Country, the country doesn't need it. He ought to pack up his ego, put it aside, say... Uh, hey, when I was there, look at the record. I did a good job. You should be proud of that. And he did do a good job. Hey, Al, Al, are you going to be at the Marriott on Sunday? Are you going to see you there? You know, Joe Cairo no, has a big event. I'm taking the kids um, uh, up to the mountains. It looks like we may have, you know, in the Poconos, we may get away with being able to get Well, Al, what's your record? The first big Republican event in 50 years that you are not there. Yep. Yeah, but guess what? I got these two babies, uh, Luciana, 13, going on 20. My God, you should see her. And Alfonso, uh, 14, going on 30. That's the atomic age that we have today. So we're, we're going to take them snowboarding and and um, and, ski, and, and Al D'Amato going on 40. Yeah. <laughs> so if you it, when, when you announce, will you do it right here on WABC? Uh, when I announce <laughs> that John Casamitidis is going to be my campaign manager and he's going to run the office for me in Washington and he signs up. Then well, straighten out Washington, Alphonse. Well, yeah, you, you can do your – and I'll, I'll give you permission to do your broadcasting from Washington. From How's the floor that? of the Congress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no more C-SPAN uh, cameras, so we'll just have WABC cameras there. Thank well, you so much, hey, Alphonse Senator D'Amato. Um, it's it's great being with you, and and you're getting great publicity wherever I go, and I'm not making that up. WABC, tremendous hit. You've done a great job, your whole team, John, and you should be proud of them. Thank you, thank you. We we're, we're here to uh, to tell the story, and whenever you're in the city, you're welcome to be in the studio. John's just trying to get a Sit, job with you. Sitting next to Peter King. <laughs> <laughs> You cover up for me. You tell the chairman why I'm not there. But I, by the way, I did send my money. In. Oh, that's good. Okay, I, I've been covering for you for years. But okay, I'll do it again, <laughs> one more time. 
I appreciate it. Enjoy yourself. All right. Uh, Thank you. you. Thank you so much, Senator. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. With us now, Bert Flickinger. He is the Managing Director of Strategic Resource Group. Uh, Welcome back to Cats at Night. What the heck is going on? Why are the prices so high for eggs? It's like the new Bitcoin. Lydia, in one word, China. Uh, China has uh, does not have the food food safety, agricultural safety, and supply chain safety. So, uh, as Reuters reported, uh, China lost 150 million of its 300 million uh, uh, pigs uh, to swine flu. Uh, part of the uh, H5H7 swine flu converted uh, to bird flu. Uh, we've lost over 40 million of our uh, 300 million uh, chickens in population and uh, those 9 billion eggs you're talking about in the presidential campaign of 2000. Uh, those those eggs uh, cost about $18 a master case. Uh, uh, last year, they were $36 per master case. Now, Bureau of Labor Statistics is reporting $86 per master case. Uh, so, so, um, and the price of corn, according to Bureau of Labor Statistics, to feed uh, the chickens is up 300%. So, instead of paying about a, a dollar to two dollars, depending upon the kind of eggs at uh, John's, Christie's, and D'Agostino stores to BJ's to Costco, uh, now even on sports radio today, they're talking that the price of eggs at ShopRite is nine dollars for a dozen eggs. People can't afford eggs. They can't. They can't afford milk that's up 32%. They can't afford poultry that's up uh, 26% the last crop year. And uh, beef is up 16%, but ground meat or hamburger meat, the cheapest uh, meat, according to the BLS, is up over 200%. Uh, so so uh, p- people are uh, credit constrained, living paycheck to paycheck. Eggs are the cheapest form of protein and can't afford eggs. I mean, that's incredible. And what about the supply chain issue that's going on? I mean, we we kept saying, oh, it's because of COVID, it's because of this. But at the core of it, we know it's because of the oil prices. They, you know, they, they are still high comparative to when Trump was president. Uh, Lydia, you're completely correct. It's, it's fuel, uh, it's feed, and it's uh, transportation. It, it all starts with energy and with energy costs uh, going up. Uh, food prices are going up, and all related input uh, pr- prices are going up, so it's out of control. And also, Lydia, cement versus soil. When you have one-party rule in Washington, uh, they're the senators and the Congress people from the cement streets. Uh, they they don't uh, understand the difference between a chicken and a rooster and and, and uh, uh, egg-laying chickens, they don't support agriculture to the extent uh, that uh, the elected officials uh, from cent- uh, central and uh, southern U.S. do. Uh, and, they, and they don't have the CDC or the Center for Disease Control uh, get after the People's Republic of China or mainland China uh, to maintain good, good standards uh, for all animals, prevent disease, 
uh, starting in China, and then it spreads throughout Asia, spreads throughout the Americas and compromises consumers. And uh, people are dying every day. And uh, with malnutrition, there's a health risk, uh, too, because of high prices. And it all started with fuel, to your present point, Lydia. Well, thank you so much, Bert Flickinger. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us, we have Rob Ort. Who, know, who You want to do the introduction, Judge Weinberg? Senator, it's uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. Welcome to uh, Cats at Night. Your Honor, it's good to hear from you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you and your listeners uh, are having a great new year. So there was a state of the state speech from uh, Governor Hochul, and we want to get your take on it. Uh, I think it was, uh, in many ways, a very weak speech and a very dangerous speech. What do you say? I, I agree on both fronts. It, it was kind of weak, right? It was it, for a state of the state. You know, that's a, that's a chance, as you know, and, and maybe your listeners know. That's sort of the, the, the governor's chance to be bold and come out there with the big ideas. And, uh, you know, some, some of them might happen. Some of them might kind of happen and some of them won't happen. But that's their real chance uh, to be as bold and visionary. And on, on the heels of an election, she has a four-year term ahead of her. I thought it was relatively weak in, in a political sense and a policy sense. Um, I thought, you know, she mentioned bail. But she really kind of doubled down on the cashless bail law, which has been a disaster from a public safety standpoint. And then she talked about making New York safer, but she didn't really say how, right? She didn't really get into some of the details. Um, uh, there was a talk about, you know, getting rid of some uh, 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 the least restrictive means language with regard to certain crimes. But uh, listen, if she's not serious, about making real changes to the cashless bail law and rolling back some of these pro-criminal policies that the Democrats have passed the last couple of years, she's the only one who, who's going who's gonna to push it from, from the left. The, the legislature is not going to do it. So if she's not willing to go in there and spend political capital, it's not going to happen. Uh, she talked about, uh, obviously, the energy, you know, banning uh, gas appliances, going all electric, uh, without any description about how the grid is going to be able to handle it, how much it's going to cost, who's going to pay for it, uh, saying we're going to cap people's energy bills based on their income level, not on what they use. Uh, I don't know how that's going to work or even if that's legal. Uh, and then, you know, the housing piece, she talked about, you'll appreciate down in the city, how it's an afford, you know, we're not building as many new new homes and, and new uh new living spaces like in New York City as other places in the country. That's because it's way more expensive to do it, first of all, and it's partly more expensive because of policies that they've either passed in Albany or things they've let expire like the 421A tax credit, which used to incentivize uh, affordable uh, 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 housing being built in some of the most expensive real estate in the country, which, of course, is down in New York City. What about uh, her piece? Also, what about a piece on zoning, Senator? Well, it's, it's dangerous. The idea that Albany is going to override local laws passed by local officials uh, and, and dictate, you know, how a community is zoned, how a neighborhood is zoned. Not only that, she says we're going to build you know, a certain percentage of new homes in every part of the state. You, your listeners may not know this, but a lot of... Well, that's what happened to Andy Spano in Westchester. 
Andy Spano was supposed to be reelected a county chairman in those days. And they were putting in President Obama, I think, was it? Uh, Putting uh, Section 8 housing. Obama was, right. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. And keep in mind, most parts of the state are losing population. So you're going to build new homes for, for areas that are losing people. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, we're out of time. Thank you, Senator. And uh, we'll have you on again to talk a little bit longer because we just ran out of time. And um, thank you again. And what do we stand for in this show? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American way. way. God bless America.